Oh, okay. Well, uh, if Tim would like a snack, there are bags of pretzels on the baker's rack. I think there are more snacks there on there too. Oh, just love that. I think I'm like like dinner right after this, so, so I'm gonna see if I have to wait. So fair enough. Okay. If any restaurants between here and Rockaway I'd recommend um, that are open on Thursday night fairly late. Between here and Rockaway, um, yes. <laughs> Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. Rock on. Well, welcome back, podcasters, to another episode of the Party on Johncast, the most excellent and righteous podcast uh, on the subjects of anything from music to theology to what we're drinking to whatever we can think about. Uh, so I'm the Reverend Sal Samarco, uh, ordained minister of Word and Sacrament. Uh, in the Presbyterian Church USA, in the validated ministry of hospice chaplaincy. Validate me, please. Um, yeah. Always need it. Always need it. So I guess that's on me, isn't it? It's up to you, unless you want to introduce Grogu. <laughs> Grogu. A- that's true. That's true. Uh, for those of you who are watching, you can already see what, what's going on here. For those of you who aren't, I have um, Grogu, who is otherwise known as uh, Yoda, Baby Yoda, uh, sitting on my shoulder, and I'm wearing a Grogu hat because I came from where? Walt Disney World, and I got myself a pair of Grogu ears and a, a Grogu. So here's the Grogu. Okay. Uh, as for who I am, I am uh, Reverend Todd Laddick, the rockin' reverend, uh, not because I rock, but because I love to rock, if that makes any sense. Um, and also, uh, I am serving, I'm an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, serving a church in Newton, New Jersey, sometimes remotely, slightly higher than Sal on ground I am. Mm. Occasionally, <laughs> he practiced that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Damn you, Calvin. <laughs> anyway, and so actually, we do. Le- oh, do. Go ahead. Sorry. Nope. Nope. Uh, you pretty much know Todd and I by now, and Krogu, uh, but we do actually have a guest with us tonight. Um, so, Todd, do you want to introduce our guest since he's a friend of yours? Yes. Uh, the guest we have with us tonight is somebody who happens to listen to us. God bless him. <laughs> but uh, his name is uh, Tim Booth, and uh, Tim and I are good friends, and I'll let him explain. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is Tim Booth. I met Todd on a, a retreat that we used to help run together called the Search for Christian Maturity. It was a 
originally a, a United Methodist-based retreat um, in New Jersey that has kind of uh, developed and morphed over the years um, into something slightly different. It's a little bit more Pennsylvania-based now, um, but uh, still with, with the, the United Methodist heart, but really the heart of Jesus. Um, and um, we uh, both just served on that as volunteers because we, we loved working with the kids and spreading the word. And, and, and I think it filled us both um, virtually as well. Um, so, however, I, I am I'm the, the non-pastor in this equation. Um, and uh, I'm an energy consultant and sales manager with Shipley Energy in a town called York, Pennsylvania, which is technically the first capital of the United States um, for about 10 minutes uh, way back in probably the 1780s. Um, and uh, I live in uh, Lancaster County, which is probably best known for the Amish. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I continue to be involved in search. Um, Todd is moving on to focus on his church, but um, it's, uh, it's been a really, I've been involved for a very long time and, and Todd's kids have gone and it's, it's you know, I hope somebody send my kids. It's, it's been one of the true joys of my life. And then of course, uh, meeting cool people like Todd and uh, getting to, uh, Guest on here with you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tim, Tim is great. Uh, one thing that is for sure, Tim uh, rocks on guitar and he just rocks in general. Timmy just rocks. So you are the rockin' Tim and I'm the rockin' Todd and you're the rockin' Sal. And this show just is the party on John Cast, which rocks. That's all right. I'm not going to be like your guest from last year and, and play songs because I'm not quite there. But <laughs> I do, you know. Some uh, some big daddy Weaver, some Chris Tomlin or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. Oh, so totally does. He gets us. In fact, he outdoes them. That's what he does. <laughs> he outdoes them. Yes. Um, anyway, <clears throat> actually, oh, go ahead. I actually saw Big Daddy Weave. That was one of uh, Allison's and I's early dates. We went together to see Big Daddy Weave and Jason Gray. I remember that actually. I remember. Oh, that. Yeah. how long ago was that? Yep. Ah, uh, geez, that had to be four years ago. Four or five years ago? Oh, that's yeah, about five years ago. Gray was just kind of starting up. Big Daddy Weed has some songs that really speak to me. Um, and I'm not trying to uh, overshadow the song segment, but um, the only name is, has been a huge song for uh, for Search. And um, some of the slower songs like uh, My Story. Um, and uh, I, I, I know that's maybe about a year or two old. Um, and uh, absolutely beautiful song. I, I love that guy's voice. Um, I love the way they, they play together as a church. Um, I'm sorry, as a, as a worship band. Um, and, uh, just, yeah, I, I, that's definitely a, I don't have many bands that I like want to see because the value of live music at my age is, is not what it used to be, but like that, that's definitely one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Nice. Um, so I'm switching us to gallery view because I realize that people are watching that might be easier for them to, to see, um, especially, uh, Grogu who does not like to be out of the limelight, uh, his show, though he doesn't say a word, whatever view you had is people were watching him. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Typically, yep. Uh, yep. so <clears throat> this is the way. So this is the way, that's right. So this brings us to our Hebrew segment. Hey guys, how do you know that God likes beer? Oh, Sal. 
he had possibly Paul, we don't know, write about it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1. But every time. <laughs> Ain't going away. You love, that's right. It's right. every time. Predestined. You are forced. If you listen to the show, yes. you are Okay. Yeah, I have to. I can't. So uh, who wants to go first? Because we are actually talking about brews today, I think. No, each one of us are talking about brews, um, except for Grogu. He doesn't drink. <clears throat> he drinks He drinks tea. Yeah, he doesn't drink. Or frogs. Brew. <laughs> or frogs, right? That was one of the more disturbing elements of season two. <laughs> that really was. <laughs> Between him and Groot, I don't know. Okay, um, so who wants to go first? I'll go first. Uh, so I was going to review, uh, Allison got me some really good spiced rum from Cape Cod. I was going to review that, but decided uh, on the way home we stopped to get wine, and I saw some uh, Sam Adams cherry wheat. And this is my regular Renaissance Fair drink, so can't go wrong with cherry wheat. So it's a wheat, wheat, wheat beer with uh, cherries in it. It's a wit, wit beer. Wit beer. I went through a real Sam Adams phase like seven or eight years ago, um, and then I think I hit my quota, and I, I haven't had. <laughs> he checked out. He's like, "Yeah, Adams is great." Then ding, ding, ding. Yeah, it was it was after <laughs> phase, but before my I don't know my drugs phase. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So you. <clears throat> Well, yeah, I'll go next. Um, so I had brought um, Trogue's Field Study, which is uh, they, they come up with some pretty cool uh, new beers, um, but they're all generally in the IPA family. Um, I, I, I like to say I, when I order a beer, I love a beer you have to chew. Like I look for the one that just like is has is just the hoppiest there. Um, but because I don't want to feel awful tomorrow, I'm chasing it with a Corona, which I have come to ironically really enjoy during the. Yeah, yeah. Coronas are kicking. Well, awesome. I mean, yeah, I've been really digging the uh, Yingling lately. Oh, Yingling! Uh, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Uh, that's America's oldest uh, brewery, right? Supposedly oldest brewery, and still, still technically a craft brew. Still and Yingling and Trogues, Pennsylvania properties. Yes, both are Pennsylvania guys. Yep. So. Yep. yep. Pennsylvania represent. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, Sal, you're gonna love. You're gonna love my choice, Richard. So I went because I know you're a Calvinist. I went with uh, your favorite brand of Calvinists. Uh, they're the big C Calvinists, of course. Um, <laughs> little C, little C. No, no, no. They're the little R reformed. Not the. Okay, if you want, if you want to trigger Sal, this is how you do it. Big. There we. They're what you call the Theo Bros. They're cage stage. Oh God. They're not truly. They're not really reformed. <laughs> yes, you can't. You can't be reformed in your eschatology and, and nothing else. You have to be reformed in everything. Anyway, go ahead. You got to go on a tangent. That may actually get us more viewers. That that may not be a bad idea. Um, big bad. Baptist Reserve, and this is an Imperial Stout, your favorite, Sal, with coffee, cacao nibs, and coconut added, and aged in tea and rum barrels. It's um, hard to tell. Can you see the alcohol percentage on there? This is 1.6 fluid ounces. Yeah, I think it was 10%. If I remember, <laughs> now you know a Baptist would never be caught dead drinking that. True, true, true. That's why actually, that's why they're the bad, the big bad Baptist. That's right. Um, On video, I just appreciate how much shorter than Todd I appear to be. Um, <laughs> and it's, like I'm kind of halfway between him and Grogu. Like it, as far as. <laughs> Sandwiched between Sal when you look at perspective. <laughs> Daddy, can I join the podcast? Like, I <laughs> did I get a sip of the Big Bad Baptist Reserve? <laughs> I, mean, I think you're about an inch or two taller than me, but I think my torso is shorter than my legs, and so it's, yeah. But I think it's also the angle. But it's just pretty funny. It's the it. angle. It's <laughs> Hi. <Yeah. laughs> good. Oh my god. Okay. Um, so, uh, let me tell you how this tastes. Ooh. I did it again. Oops, I did it again. I got another one of those chocolatey stouts that I'm going to, imperial chocolatey stouts that I'm going to have a very fun time trying to finish. Cheers. Is it too chocolatey? It's... It may be a little on the tube. You know what it is? Is I, I think they also have maple syrup in it. They brew it with maple syrup and that has a sweetness to it that just makes it a little mm. what I would like my, my ale to be. It is very delicious tasting, definitely full of flavor. It's like, um, it's like a dessert wine, but, but it's, it's, like, it's like a dessert beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you just... Would you say it's any better than Sweet Baby Jesus? Uh, Sweet, Sweet Baby Jesus is pro, pretty similar, right? Probably is. It's it's about in the same. It's the same range, yeah. Sweet J, Sweet Baby Jesus, yeah, yeah. This, this flavor makes you go. It's like this, right? You, you take a sip and you're like, Sweet Baby Jesus. Woo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> better you than me. I don't think I could handle that much sweetness in a beer. Okay. And then add the alcohol to talk about a headache tomorrow. 
Well, then, <clears throat> then you wouldn't like cherry Sam Adams cherry wheat because it's uh, very sweet. I do like Sam Adams cherry wheat, actually. This is sweeter than that. Um, for the rest of the podcast and how sweet we're just going to be. Hey, sweet. Hey, yeah. sweetie. We're just gonna... Hey, sweetie. Hey, sweetums. Uh, which is scary. Is the way. Which is scarier that I said that or that I said that going like this next to Grogu and Tim. <laughs> Well, <laughs> snuggling with Grogu. For, for those podcast listeners, he was uh, <laughs> uh, slyly nuzzling up against Grogu yes. in a seductive way. And so, and Sim said, he was. Sim, Sim. I don't know. Tim, Tim said, not today, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I said, yes, every day. Every this day. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Did uh, Grogu give you consent there to, to nuzzle him? Um, I didn't ask, but Grogu is of little words. He doesn't say. Um, he meditates with the best of them, though. Yeah, and he could lift me up and does. like a sack of potatoes if he wanted. So I'm sure that if I didn't have Grogu's consent, I would know. <laughs> Very true. Talking about season two of Mandalorian. I think like, so. I know it's been out for like six months, but um, <laughs> I just I feel like there's there's a lot there. I, 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 I think so. we could do that. We could totally do that. <laughs> So I, I guess this brings us to our most excellent music segment. This edition. This edition. <laughs> yeah, this edition. Yeah. It was a Grogu edition. Um, there we go. Okay. Uh, who wants to go first? You want me to go first since uh, you... Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so, um, I have been listening to... Uh, there's a independent band named Danger Scene. Um, they kind of remind me a little bit of 21 Pilots. Uh, they kind of remind me of like New Wave, 80s New Wave... Um, I, for some reason, I liked one of their songs on Spotify, and it just uh, popped up the other day, and so I was like, "Oh yeah." Um, so this is they have a song. It's on an EP uh, called Features. Uh, it's called Idle Eyes. Um, I would re- read you the lyrics, but they're nowhere on the internet. Like, I think I saw such a small uh, independent band that their lyrics are not online. So, uh, but Idle Eyes is like this really. Uh, we've talked about this, Todd, the, the new wave uh, bands that are like sounds really upbeat and poppy and happy. And but when you actually listen to the lyrics, it's like, oh no, they're actually there's a message here. Um, right. Yeah. So I, yeah. So idolize is basically about um, um, how we idolize uh, celeb- musicians specifically or celebrities. Um, you know, one of the courses says don't. Uh, don't pretend to be someone you want to be. Um, and it talks about musicians being, or celebrities being, celebrities in general, being uh, <clears throat> people who put on personas to cover their battle scars is one of the lines in the song. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty accurate of uh, celebrity culture, but not a persona to cover your battle scars. But then theologically, um, it kind of explains explains a lot of people um, like we as Christians shouldn't put on a 
persona to cover our battle scars because you know you know in all intents and purposes those battle scars and those sins are covered by the grace of jesus but uh we're like we talked about last month todd uh, we're talking about nirvana's come as you are you know we we often tell folks to come as they are scars and all but when we get to church people put on a persona because they don't want to they're fine dealing, looking at your scars but not their own yeah so Sure. But, yep. but I'll, uh, I'll send it to you, Todd. It'll be in the notes. And it's uh, it's one of those very good, like, it's got a kind of like a synth vibe, very peppy kind of oriental sounding, Asian sounding intro. But yeah, yeah. So the song is called Idolize, but the band is called? Uh, the band is called Dangerous, Danger Scene. Okay. It's idolized literally like idol eyes Idol I D O L eyes I E E Y E S. So like eyes your eyes. You said idol like you, you explained it as, as, as idolizing and I'm like Well I, I think it's a pl- I think it's a play on words like idolize but idol eyes. Hmm. Cool. Very nice. Well thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, there we are. What's their name again? So the band is called Danger Scene. Danger Scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the Danger Scene, Danger Scene. It, it just fits with the Navy's track. I just found it. I, I found it in my, uh, in my plebeian, um, uh, iTunes world here since you're on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Hanging out with all the 19-year-olds. Nice. Um, <laughs> Oh, did you see? Well, I, I I liked it on Spotify, and then quickly because I don't pay for Spotify, I went over to Apple Music, which I do pay for. And oh, there it is. Okay. It, All right. Welcome. To added it. to my Apple Music. Yeah, I pay for Apple Music too. Um, the majority of the world does. Well, I, I don't know if the majority of the world does or does not pay for Apple Music. Certainly, plenty do, but I I don't know um, how many do versus how many don't. And I. Uh, so I went with uh, Spotify because you can listen to the whole song for free. Um, so we put the playlist together on Spotify, though you can convert it over to Apple Music, which I prefer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think I, the last statistic I read is that uh, Spotify to Apple is about three to one. So for every three Spotify listeners, you'll have one Apple listener. That's about right. And I, I am in the Apple family. I'm in the Apple family too, uh, for sure. Okay. Spotify is not my gig, but I'm happy to anybody who listens. By the way, this is a brief intermission to say that we do have a shameless plug here. We now have a Party on Johncast playlist, uh, which is on Spotify. If you type most excellent music playlist, it should come up. If you type up Party on Johncast, that will hopefully pull it up as well. Either way, most excellent music playlist shameless plug listen this will be updated every month so the music that we're reviewing now is going to get put in there for uh, this coming month and uh and we'll just keep adding to it so check it out that's all i needed i mean i'm, I'm losing the one and i'm joining the three there we go i'm going to spotify well well yeah and and you can there is an app out there uh, i'll share it with you tim there's an app out there that um that you can actually it'll convert your spotify playlist to um to a uh, Apple Music playlist. I appreciate not having that on 
So share that with me too. Share that with me too, because I I made some playlists, including our wedding playlist on Spotify, and then switched over to Apple Music, and so because I'd rather you know it's all there. I like to skip like to skip through songs, and because I have the free the freebie Spotify account doesn't after like- five songs. Doesn't let you skip after five songs. Yeah, yeah. Which is a pain in the butt. Spotify. It's not cool. All right. So back on track. Um, Tim, why don't you go next? Sure. Um, So there's, although I I claim to be a Pennsylvania guy, there's only two ways you know that I'm a Jersey guy, which is number one, that I I love the Jersey Beach. Um, And number two, I love Bruce Springsteen. So um, the song that's been on my mind is Blood Brothers, um, which I think. has some of the best lyrics of any Bruce Springsteen song. I would say if someone were to ask me what my favorite Bruce song is, I would say my fast song would be Bobby Jean, although it's more mid-tempo, and my slow song is Blood Brothers. But um, this is from his 1994 greatest hits. Um, And it's about the process of growing up and giving up your childhood dreams. Um, And it's pretty brutal in in its execution of it. So... Um, so I'm not going to go through all of them, but, uh, some of the lyrics are now there's so much the time, time and memory fade away. We got our own roads to ride and chances we got to take. We stood side by side, each one fighting for the other. We said until we died, we'd always be blood brothers. So it talks about the the journey of beginning. That's the course. And it talks about the, the journey of beginning to become adults, but sort of what happens to that blood brother bond. Um, and it says, now the hardness of this world slowly grinds your dreams away, making a fool's joke of the promises we make. And what once seemed black and white turns to so many shades of gray, we lose ourselves in work to do, work to do and bills to pay. And it's a ride, 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 and there ain't much cover with no one running by your side, my blood brother. Um, and and so that sort of talks about where the 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 dreams and the bonds of, of childhood begin to, to break apart. And if you each of you think about um, your own childhood and maybe the people who are the most important to you. Maybe you haven't talked to them in 10 years, you know? Um, And uh, that, so in the third verse, there's a, there's a a bridge that I'll skip, but um, the third verse is, um, Oh, I accidentally bring up, I brought up the live version. I meant to bring up the, uh, the pure um, original, version but um the third verse i think is just absolutely devastating um on through the houses of the dead past those fallen in their tracks always moving ahead and never looking back now i don't know how i feel i don't know how i feel tonight if i've fallen beneath the wheel if i've lost or i've gained sight i don't even know why why i made this call or if any of this matters anymore after all but the stars are burning bright, like some mystery uncovered. And I'll keep moving through the dark with you in my heart, my blood brother. So um, I like the metaphor of like the idea that somebody like picks up the phone and actually calls somebody that they haven't talked to in 20 years, but they're so disconnected by that point. Mm-hmm. And they've moved on with life in so many ways. They don't even know what to talk about, but it's like, but you are in my heart. Like, like you are such a formative part of, of, of what started me as a person um, that I don't know how to let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really profound and, and such a, an excellent example of the way that Bruce can, uh, can just slay with his lyrics. And, and he's it, an excellent songwriter. Yeah. It, yeah. it really, um, it gives me, you know, I don't make it back to New Jersey very often. This is the first time in over two years, but you know, I'm going to kind of end up 
this is my first stop in like a four and a half day journey, just visiting various people. And great place to start, by the way. Yeah, great. Yeah, start with John podcast. So, <laughs> exactly. um, and I, uh, um, you know, here I am re- revisiting a relationship that's still relatively active. I met Todd in 2015, but like, I- I'm, I'm going to see a friend on Sunday I haven't seen since 2006. Um, and what is the value? What do you talk about with a friend you haven't seen in 15 years? And mm-hmm. what do you still have in common? And you know, this is a friend who's very vocal about the impact that I had on him when we were in high school, but does that even matter anymore? Can you still maintain a current friendship anymore uh, based on that? And if you can't, does it, does it minimize at all what the value of it was at the time? So, yeah. um, so big fan of Bruce and uh, it's a bit of an obscure song, the blood brothers by Bruce Springsteen. Check it out. If you, uh, you're looking for a great song. Yeah. Um, uh, everybody knows that I'm a, the, the way you know that I'm a fan, uh, I'm from Bon Jovi among one of many ways is uh, my love of Bon Jovi. And you meant, you meant from New Jersey because you definitely said from Bon Jovi. Uh, yeah, so, I meant yeah. from, <laughs> I don't know, there's something about this big bad Baptist reserve. To be fair, he did name one of his albums New Jersey, so they're pretty interchangeable. So. They are interchangeable. Yeah, Bon Jovi and New Jersey are interchangeable. I, I think Bruce and, 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 and New Jersey are pretty interchangeable. Yep. And uh, though both Bruce and Bon Jovi fans would disagree at points, I think actually the two are pretty interchangeable as well for being both from New Jersey. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I, Bruce is a phenomenal songwriter. His latest album actually has gotten tons of accolades and even put out a film about it. Um, you know, like, uh, Oh, there was like a making of for, um, yeah letter to you yeah letter to you yeah yeah yeah. that's a that's a that's a pretty strong album as well i mean what's funny is what i just read off of was from his greatest hits yeah that's the only greatest hits he ever put out and it's 27 years ago and he has consistently put out music and that's his that's his obscure greatest (laughs) his obscure greatest hit yeah and 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 he um no he's not a legend he continues to (laughs) put out more and more and more um and he's uh 70 uh, he'll be 72 this year. Yeah. So and he's older than John. I know that he's not touring uh, this year, but he's going to be back next year. And, and I'm looking forward to bringing my older son. I don't think my younger son is going to enjoy it all that much, but I think my older son's going to get a lot out of it. I'd love to give him that, that Bruce experience. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same being a 72 or 73 year old man running around the stage as it was in, in, in you know, but, the more classic times, but I, I'm looking forward to it. By the way, major, major shout out to the Canfields uh, of D.D. Canfield, which we had on the show, who uh, also brought up, uh, well, Bruce, because <laughs> they're from New Jersey, Hackettstown to be exact. Wait, am I, is this not Bruce's debut on this? As this is not the, This is not Bruce's not debut. Um, I, I actually, I thought it was for a moment, and then I was back, and I'm like, no, we had the kid. Nope. D.D. Canfield on here, um, and uh, one of them was a Dylan, or uh, I forget which 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 of the Canfield uh, brothers. Um, but but they totally it was either was it Devin and Dylan, right? Mm-hmm. One of the two, yeah. both both are Bruce fans, but one was more of a Bruce fan than the other. One liked it because it was a part of his growing up, but it wouldn't listen to it per se. The other the other uh, like loved. 
Bruce Springsteen and went to Bruce Springsteen concerts. Uh, Also liked Bon Jovi and we were at it. We were at the same concert together and we found this out on the podcast. Lots of stuff, folks, happened on this podcast. You don't want to miss it. Um, It was the the younger brother. This next on the Party on John cast, Donald Trump has been arrested. (gasps) What? Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I think. I think it's the, organ- it's the organization that's all. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't date ourselves too much because it's the old news in a month. But yeah, uh, it's the org. The org and uh, the lawyer now is prosecuted. not prosecuted, but has been um, indicted and the CFO uh, pled guilty. Yeah, the CFO. Right. So we'll see. Oh, he already pled guilty. He pled not guilty. I mean, sorry. Oh. I just want to give false information. <laughs> yeah, get getting excited. bad information yeah. after <laughs> after everybody else. Hashtag <laughs> fake news. <laughs> up there, otherwise the bots may catch me. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Anyway, um, what's, so, what's your uh, music? Oh yeah, so it's on to me, isn't it? Yes. Um, so I am picking uh, one of my band I love so much, and I. I can't say that I've listened to them in a long time, but lately I've been giving them a, a real listen. Um, and that one would be uh, Pink Floyd. Okay. I, I've just been really digging Pink Floyd. And the song that I'm going to uh, talk about tonight is Brain Damage off of uh, Our Side, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, which is probably, I, I think that's their best album, I think. Certainly, their most iconic. Certainly, the wall. Yeah, certainly their most iconic. I love the wall as well. Um, Pulse, their double live album. Uh, There's a lot by them that I I love, but there's just something about the dark side of the moon uh, as an album that um, just hit hit it hit notes and concepts that I think weren't necessarily being addressed in that time period, especially being the mid seventies um, following the Vietnam war and the, the political fallout of Nixon and all that stuff going on. And then you've got this band Pink Floyd that's just kind of like questioning everything. And in some ways, while they were progressive and totally like fit the time of the sixties and the seventies, in some ways they were ahead of their time as well. And um mm-hmm. And uh, really kind of where the, the beginning, I mean, while they weren't a part of the Gen X um, generation, I think that the Gen X generation, certainly you can hear elements of their concepts flowing through Gen X um, in the way they question stuff. So That's interesting. Yeah, I, I really appreciate um, Pink Floyd and the song uh, is Brain Damage. Um, lyrics are short enough um, and actually this was written to some degree because uh, one of their original members was ended up having to leave the band and was actually institutionalized because of mental health so part of it is that based- wasn't Sid Barrett the singer um, let me see here Pink Floyd I mean he's the one who most like famously imploded I think it was um, him I think it was him uh, it was Sid. It was okay. Sid. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Um, yeah, Sid Barrett. 
Yeah, and he imploded. Um, was he still around when this was recorded? No, he, he imploded earlier on. So, like, okay. this is something that I think that they were just reflecting on. And I think it has other meaning meanings, too. I don't think it's just about him. But that was a part of the the... I think the, the thought process going into writing this song. So the, the song goes, the lunatic is on the grass. The lunatic is on the grass, remembering games and daisy chains and laughs. Got to keep the loonies on the path. The lunatic is in the hall. The lunatics are in my hall. The paper holds their folded faces to the floor. And every day the paper boy brings more. And if the dam breaks open many years too soon, and if there is no room upon the hill, and if your head explodes with dark forebodings too, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. The lunatic is in my head. The lunatic is in my head. You raise the blade, you make the change, you rearrange me till I'm sane. Um, you rearrange me till I'm sane. You lock the door and throw away the key. There's someone in my head, but it's not me. And if the cloud bursts, thunder in your ear, you shout and no one seems to hear. And if the band you're in starts playing different tunes, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. And I think that that song in so many ways encapsulates the last year or so. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just like the last year. And I, I just can't help but hear that song and just be lost in the music and in the lyrics and just relate. I mean, I just relate with it. Um, the lunatic is over there. The lunatic is over here. The lunatic is in, <laughs> in here you know like it's crazy but that's that, that encapsulates this last year for me so that's my song dark side of the moon uh well brain damage on dark side of the moon by pink floyd yeah yeah i think it it speaks to uh some mental health struggles which really for me never started until the pandemic mm-hmm. um and you know, your your podcast has been a source of comfort for me at times um in the midst of that um and uh, by the way, as I'm looking it up, it appears that Eminem also has a song called Brain Damage. So, uh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> he, he's trying to steal that spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, I think more people are familiar with mental health struggles now than they were a year ago. And, you know, 600,000 people dead in America, notwithstanding, that, that might be one of the blessings of the pandemic is we're all a little more empathetic to that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, and, and so it, it, it brings me, it affirms what we do, I think, Sal, to hear that somebody like Tim is listening to to us, you know, what we share and, and finding comfort in that and what they're going through. And I think that's what it's all about. I think each and every one of us have our own experiences um, and the existential angst, if I can go into my uh, existentialist philosoph- philosophical background. Um, our existential angst is that we can't understand each other's experiences um, and relate fully with each other because we're locked in our own subjective reality. But at the same time, we do, and that's the miracle. That's the miracle. That's where I saw God. that's where Kierkegaard saw God. <clears throat> Somehow, it wouldn't be even possible, and yet it is. And there's it no is. why that is. Um, 
but God for me. That weird thing called, yeah, well, and that's that weird thing called empathy that I think is a, you know, for strictly, strictly carbon-based life forms with existential minds, how do we relate to each other? It's empathy and, you know, you could say that comes from God. Yeah, like, in a way. Yep. So that's a great place for us to get back into, you know, get into our uh, main topic. Actually, not back into it because we haven't started yet. But next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. We're going to talk about the church and what church looks like post pandemic. I mean, like for so long, we were used to those of us who grew up in church or around church culture, like. You know, Sunday mornings, you were cut out to go to church and nothing interfered with that. And, you know, uh, and you went to sun, you went to church Sunday morning, probably youth group Sunday evening. And if you didn't have youth group Sunday evening, then more than likely it was on a Friday evening or some other some other time. Um, uh, and it was just a part of who we are as a culture. And I think long before the pandemic, that has been in decline. I mean, I, I don't think any one of us here hasn't experienced the decline of the church in some way or the other. Isn't that right, Grogu? <laughs> exactly. He says yes. <laughs> so um, so uh, and, and he said on his planet, there is no such religion. Um, it's just the way. It's the way. Just the way. Good convenient. This is the way. Culture. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Convenient, convenient, convenient. Right, yeah. convenient. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, well, for him right now, that is his religion. Because otherwise, what's he gonna do? So, um, so um, anyway, uh, basically, you know, <laughs> to get back on, to get back off of Grogu, you know, you're in this this place where, you know church is declining and you don't even you don't even know what the future holds like so as soon as this pandemic hit uh i was like oh my god i think that as soon as the pandemic hit sal sal didn't have a chance to think or say anything because he was just running like a chicken with his head cut off um yeah was running with a chicken like a chicken with my head cut off but the the, the difference is is that i'm not in a medical environment a clinical environment. So mm-hmm. I don't have CDC guidelines coming through the top tiers of my organization telling me do X, Y, and Z. What I have is CDC guidelines that can be found somewhere on an internet browser, somehow, some way through lots of Googling and reading and going, huh, and scratching your head and asking questions. And so like, <coughs> yeah, I had to dissect that information coming from the CDC and then translate it to the church. And you didn't you didn't have you didn't have to deal with CDC guidelines that change weekly and then on top of that have to deal with state health guidelines that said, No, forget about that. Well, this is what we want to do. No, I so. didn't have to change. I did have to deal with those things. I just didn't have the central um the central structure telling me initially what things needed to be changed. And then um our bishop very quickly, and I'm not sure all bishops did, but our bishop did very quickly uh, became be, became like the point person for sending out information for what we needed to do each week. And as tired as you, uh, as you got to hear from him about that, it was helpful because otherwise you're, you're, you're in the dark trying to figure it, figure it all out. So 
um, the whole point of this is that this pandemic forced us to go online and forced us to be a church in a different way than we have ever been before. We all had to make split decisions uh, to, to make church thrive and well, not thrive, but even just survive in this environment. And uh, most of us were able to do that. Some churches didn't survive. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, it's hard to have a serious conversation, by the way, with this hat on my head. <laughs> I'm getting all serious and the ears are like flopping. That's right. There, there's a, there's a unity yank to life. I'm interested to hear um, from the, uh, uh, the hospice perspective and then the chaplaincy, what it was like before the pandemic, what it was like during the pandemic and what it's like now that we are by, by most estimation, Delta variant, notwithstanding um, outside of the pandemic. Uh, well, before the pandemic, uh, <clears throat> so I would say the first 12 months, pandemic's going on for 15 months now, 15, 16 months. First 12 months of the pandemic, I was in a nursing home. Um, before the pandemic, it was a pretty much a balanced, um, I would do three worship services a week. Uh, a whole bunch of administrative work. Uh, and then when I could uh, do <clears throat> provide pastoral care to uh, 200-ish people plus 300-ish employees. So providing pastoral care for basically a large church and maintained clinical guidelines plus charting plus worship services uh, by myself um, uh, when <clears throat> so when the pandemic started uh, a lot of that got shut down so um, not that I couldn't visit my my residents um, how I how I did that because I was already used to doing you know uh, precautions in terms of isolation precautions because you know you'd have residents come into the rehab who have X, Y, or Z and, you know, have to be on isolation precautions. Working in healthcare for the last eight years, no big thing. I throw on a, a gown and gloves and a mask and do my, my pastoral care. Um, the pandemic changed it in that a mask and gloves was every single visit every single encounter i couldn't walk around the building without a mask on i couldn't walk around the building without goggles on um having done that work, that's that's draining i i know it, it's tough when every now and again you come to a room where you have to put on like ppe and it's like oh you know and you do it and and you're happy to be there with the person but it just feels weird it's impersonal and, and then it, yep. Clinical and it's also work. It takes time to put that stuff on and take it off. Um, yeah, so I know how that feels to do that once in a while on a visit. But you're right; during the pandemic, it was every visit. Yep. And so for the first six months, I just canceled all of my spiritual activities. You know, I would still visit if there was a need. Uh, no communion, no in-person worship. You know, very limited in-person one-on-one, -on -one, you know, very limited in-person pastoral contact unless it was a one-on-one -on -one requested visit. And then 
uh, the majority of my uh, attention turned towards the employees. Um, after about six months, I realized, okay, uh, I can't just let my people find their own worship services. I, I started like Todd, you know, on top of everything I was doing, uh, they had a couple hours a, a week to record and edit worship services. Uh, instead of doing three a week, I was just doing the one once a week, but that's still five, five or so hours a week that I was filming and editing content. And how long was that? Uh, how long was that? How long was that content typically? Just so people get an understanding. So five or five or six hours for a thirty-minute chapel service. So, uh, because did you have like thirty or forty nursing home residents at a time in in, in corporate worship? Like, so yeah, corp, corporate worship typically was twenty-five to forty residents um, in our main worship services. Uh, six or seven in our dementia care unit. And then twenty or so in our healthcare worship service. So about a hundred, fifty to a hundred routinely worship worship. Um, yeah. That's not counting our Catholic residents. To, to sort of uh, make the first cut in, in in what I'm, you know, what we're talking about here. What do you think was the effective, um, the one that would consistently have twenty five people um, to them losing that that time each week. Like and and has that been able to resume? Uh, <clears throat> I'm still able to visit that that facility because I have hospice patients. I so I'm regularly visiting with the chaplain there, who's there now, and he's just now starting to put in place the steps to restart it. A year and a half after we canceled him. Um, but it meant a lot of isolation. I mean, a lot of the pastoral care that I was doing for my residents was um, triage. Like, okay, calm down. I know you're isolated. I know you're frustrated. I know you want to, you're angry. You can't go to church and you're going to take it out on me. Okay. Assault me verbally. Okay. Now that you got it out of your system, let me explain to you why we're not doing it. Um, and how that, how that, Jives theologically and biblically, exactly. and then let me see how I. So chaplains also verbally too. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yep, yep. Chaplains are, yeah. You know, well, some of some of my folks, you know, they they couldn't go hang out with this guy Todd over here in Grogu, so they been, you know, they couldn't complain to him, so they come complain to me. So. Yeah. But um. Some of them. But yeah. So the. <laughs> It's uncomplained to both of us. So uh, I'm, I'm gathering that you maybe three or four months ago changed positions. And you're, no, you're no longer with that nursing home. So I'm, I'm no longer with that nursing home. Uh, there was a lot of isolation, a lot of burnout, um, a lot of uh, because I had to I had to balance uh, essentially why I left the position. Um, well, at sli- slightly below the pay raise. Uh, but really the reasons I left that position was because number one, there was so much isolation and um, frustration and uh, watching my residents like 
steeply de- declined because they could not be socially engaged and knowing that there was nothing I could do about it. Um, that was a big part of it. Uh, but also, uh, the last, so from in January, I announced my, I was leaving in December. I started chaplain uh, hospice in January. Uh, but from probably September to December, when I was actively looking to leave, um, uh, the stress and the burnout from uh, helping the employees, uh, because the employees were stretched thin and burnt out. Um, I finally, I had to, I personally told my boss, I said, I'm looking to leave because I cannot take this anymore. Um, I cannot support all of my time is is being diverted to caring for the staff because I have no time to do my job and care for my residents because COVID is beating the ever living crap out of our employees. Yeah. So um, all of my pastoral care was focused on my employees, um, but I couldn't do my couldn't do my worship services. I um, couldn't focus on my residents. Um, physically because of COVID and mentally because I was so sucked into the, just the burnout of my, so for my own mental health, I had to say, I need to step away because if I stay here, I'm going to be sucked into that black hole. And uh, I was drinking, drinking enough as it was. I, I didn't need to drink more. And to bring it back yeah. like to the topic of the church post pandemic, um, wouldn't you say that also in your particular um, experience as a chaplain for the most of that time, the majority of that time you spent as a, as a chaplain in, as a director of mission and pastoral care at Bristol Glen, wouldn't you say that in that role, there were also many people there who just weren't able to connect with the, the technology. So like technology is yes, know how to use it like if you need to use yep. it, have it it's great but in your situation how many were you know face facetime ready yeah i think uh i mean facetime began zoom became good uh part of our our how we did do pastoral care and and streaming church but you know it had to be facilitated by staff members I think I, I maybe had five independent residents who were tech savvy enough to actually find Todd's service online and bring it up on their computer. And, and you know, cool. so they, those are the people that would have been capable if they knew what they were doing. There are also people in a, in a retirement community like that, uh, especially a um, continuing care retirement community. There are people there who, even though they may at one time have had, let's say we're, we're 50 years from now and we're dealing with elderly millennials, um, you know, like they know how to use the technology, but some of them may not have the capability of using the technology because of their motor functions and their memory and, and those sorts of things. So like, so like assuming that just because, you know, millennials are growing old, they're going to know what they're doing is the answer to the, to the problem, not necessarily depending on what the, what's going on with them individually. Right. And even if they are tech savvy, um, 
technology that they grew up with and are used to is not technology that, you know, technology is changing every couple of years. So even if they are able to be somewhat tech savvy, the technology that we have to stream church now is not going to be the same as the technology we have in five years. Amen. Think, think about so, it. Think about it. The technology of the boomers, you know, record players, records, granted records haven't gone far, but record eight phones. You know, you think of all the things that, uh, you know, like typewriter, all of CDs used to use back then that like today are like, what? Like, what do you do with them? Mm-hmm. Like, like, do you tie this yeah. around, like, presents as ribbon? Like, what is this stuff? You know, like, yep. yeah, I mean. Cassettes and CDs and, yep. yeah. So, I mean, and, you know. The technology of the future, right? And that's that's another thing. And this, this applies for you, Todd, and the churches as well, is that I know I'm doing pulpit supply or filling a pulpit this weekend for a church that just to, I think they said they invested like $6,000 just to be able to live stream their services. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not every church could afford that. Not every CCRC can afford to have technology to stream internet video to the entire building. Right. Um, I was, I was lucky because I was able to jury rig the technology we had to do it. Um, but then again, the church that just spent $6,000 on technology for 2020 in 2025, that technology is going to need to be replaced because that's how technology proceeds. I mean, it's a, you know, just because you're up on the current technology doesn't mean you're set for the future technology. Right. So we've established that the church really had to adjust in order to make the pandemic work Two. Uh, not everybody is going to benefit from the technology just and because you had technology when you were growing up doesn't mean that's the same technology you're using when you're older for, for, from not, not everyone can yeah. knowledge in a skill standpoint but also from an economic standpoint right right yeah, yeah. yeah. financial yep. yeah it's very it's very much a class issue it's a you know yeah, add add and I and I was listening to that just recently on our shameless plug, um, uh, uh, most excellent music pot, uh, uh, playlist. I was listening to Propaganda, which you suggested, uh, Sal Crooked, about how the yep. the system is, and it's like he hits it in, on every level. How crooked. And that, like, you know, we can have technology to pinpoint where somebody is on the map in any given location in the world. But somebody like him growing up in the hood can't get, you know, phone service. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds that both the emotional tone of, of the isolation and the loneliness and the mental toll that it took on him as an employee um, and the... Uh, sort of economic and, and barriers to entry tone of, of the technology and the, the economics um, transferred over to use uh, Todd and, and to say like, what has it been like actually running a church with a congregation for the last uh, 16 months, sort of the, the before the during and the after. So for me at the beginning, um, I work very well under pressure. I just do um, my best, my best output is done under pressure. 
I, if I try to do something too early, I overthink it. It comes out like crap. But if I have no time to think and I need to put something down now, like that's when I focus and I pull out my best stuff. That's just the way I work. You heard it here first, folks. He writes his sermons on Saturday. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, well, you know, I'm, I, I write my throughout the, the week, but, but I'm always tweaking and my best stuff comes out at the end. And certainly when I'm in, when I'm in like crunch mode, that's when I work the best for whatever reason. Um, so in the moment of the pandemic, I was listening to multiple sources. I, I had the, the clinical side of it from Sal and Bernie who, who were on that end of it. I had the pastoral side of it from my DS and from other pastors around. I had what I was gathering from the news. And I remember it all happening just so freaking quick and like just making decisions. And I, I remember one, one specific example um, from, from the current church I'm s- serving in one of the leaders uh, uh, wanted to hold, uh, re- well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, cause I don't think she, she would be upset with me saying it and uh, without naming names. Um, for we, we hold at our church, we have a wonderful music program, a lot of talented people there, and we hold a unity choir three times a year. We wanted to hold what we had held our, um, January one, which was Handel's Messiah. And we wanted to hold the one on, on uh, Palm Sunday that we do every year. Uh, and obviously, if we got to the fall, that one as well. And when we were making the decision to shut down, I got asked by the people involved, you know, like, does that mean that we can't practice in the building? And I said, yeah, that's what that means. We're closing the building down. Uh, everything must be done remotely. We can't have a ton of people here singing and spreading their germs and possibly, um, you know, spreading the virus. And you know, she respected that. The person I talked to respected that and understood it. And, and that was that. But I got an email a couple days later from the same person saying, you know, I'm so glad that you stuck to your guns because look at this. And she sent me a link to a, to a story about out in Oregon uh, or Washington, one of the two states, uh, a choir um, went in and practiced and became a super spreader event. At the, at the outset, this was before it had even started spreading through mm-hmm. California. This was at the outset. And she had saw that and said, thank God we weren't practicing. That could have been us. Yeah. So it was like, it was like one of those moments where like, you're just making decisions on the fly and some people got it. Some people never got it. I, I have people to this day who are angry with me that we've, we, we, we never, we were uh, uh, virtual at all. Um, some people think that Satan, you know, you get the the various, the various theologies in any church, but uh, some people thought Satan was behind it, trying to keep us from worshiping. And, um, and, and of course, those are the people that barely, if ever attended any online services. Um, and I always find that funny because it's like, well, you chose not to attend a single service online and you're saying that Satan kept us from worshiping, but we were all there worshiping. Where were you? Like, like, so, so on the one end, Satan kept you from worshiping, but on the other end, um, you know, like you're, you're kind of projecting that out onto everybody else. And, and there is a legitimate point for some people that they can't physically worship that way, you know, and, and I get that. And that's a real issue Mm -hmm. for this specific person of mine. It was just, they didn't want to, you know, that they're, 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 they're pro-Trump 
you know, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, but they didn't want to be there. Um, uh, and so that becomes a difficult, becomes difficult. How do you deal with, with that person? Um, if, if they're not willing to engage you in a way that is, you know, constructive. It's a, an interesting, um, dynamic in that, like we have been asked or we had been asked from March 13th, 2020 when, all hell broke loose Mm -hmm. um, to roughly a little over a year after that to basically white Fang slash Harry and the Hendersons, the people that we care about and, and tell them go away. Yeah. Like go away because I love you. Um, I'm I'm isolating myself. I'm separating myself because I care. Um, And the, the selfish point of view, at least from the sort of rational three quarters of, of the population is, was uh, to, no, 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 forget that. I'm just going to get together with whoever I want. And, you know, certainly it can seem altruistic in their mind because they're like, because community is important. And that's exactly what we're talking about here today. But it's like, well, hang on. There's actually something more important and more urgent than community in this moment. And that is uh, keeping this horrible disease from killing Billions of Americans, as opposed to you know what has appeared to be about six hundred thousand, so um, which was significantly higher than the the one to two hundred thousand estimates that we were dealing with uh, last spring. And yeah, you know, so I, I think we can say unequivocally that we failed horribly um, in the the job of keeping each other safe, but but, but we were trying. And um, now we are back to the point of okay, so that emergency is over. Um, we can gather as a community again, and it is okay under, you know, certain guidelines and circumstances and that are going to change a little bit. But for the most part, I know my state has basically lifted pretty much any mask mandates. New Jersey has to. Okay. And, and, um, barring like private organizations, like when Disney, like when I was at Disney, they lifted all masks except when you were in buses and public transportation. Okay. Other than that, you could walk around without masks. And a, and a rational person, I think, can respect the uh, yeah. those individual exceptions and not burn their mask just because, like, somebody <laughs> somewhere said that it was okay. A rational say. person, yeah. yes. <laughs> so a but, Karen. I actually care about a couple of people named Karen. So you that, know, I, I, I really bothers me that they <laughs> they use real names to put down real people. Yeah, it's like you know there are Karens out there who are wearing their masks and yeah, doing everything should, right. They should make them a fake name. <laughs> Like Sharon or something like, like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right? Not, we're not Karen, Sharon, you know. <laughs> no, but, but, I mean, but um, my concern and my observation is that people aren't necessarily ready to get back to that. And I'm not sure which category they're coming out of, but but that they um, might be slow to resume their pre-pandemic activities and, and they have grown so accustomed to the uh, – inter-pandemic world and kind of the post-pandemic world that they're like, I mean, I went, I went without church for a year. Like what's the big deal? Or I only checked in on the, on the online service four or five times. Like it didn't make that big of a difference or like, what does it matter? But I mean, so a couple examples that I wanted to point out and I'm obviously, I'm not um, a pastor, but, but I am somebody who helps to lead a, a, a teenage retreat. And um, you're very the, active in the church. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm very active in, in my local church and, um, we obviously had to cancel the um, 
the January retreat that we normally run, but we were able to run a smaller outside version called Summer Search um, this past weekend. And, and it was only 25 people as opposed to maybe the normal 65 or 70 that we might have, but it was a really good renewal and, and, a, and a way to set the stage for the new year. And, and it's those small in-person moments that like, and those experiences that you have where someone stops and says something to you just because like you're there and they see you and, and they want to give you a word of encouragement, like a, somebody who was new to the weekend saying like, this is such a wonderful weekend. I, you know, I can't believe that. Like they never would have texted that to me. No. They never would have thought to say that it was necessarily. Um, and just some other moments, even outside of that, like I, I was, I showed up to my actual office one day this week. Aside from that, I worked from home every day. And that's where I learned something that other people had known for weeks, which is that one of my coworkers is pregnant. She never would have thought to tell me, Right. over text or over email or over a screen or quite frankly at all, because I wasn't running into her enough except to like have minimal, here's what to tell this customer conversations that she was pregnant. So she shared that part of her life with me um, right. because we were face to face. And then there's the, the, the before and after church experience. Like for me, um, you know, I loved the idea of coming to church 20 minutes early and just talking to whoever I could um, or staying late. I mean, you know, if, if our congregation, 85% of them left as soon as the, uh, the benediction was given, you know, the 15% who stayed, it's like, let's, let's see what's going on in their lives. And, you know, let's, let's kind of minister to them and just, just see it. And if nothing else, even if there's not a lot going on there, it's, it's fellowship, um, completely lost, non-existent, um, in an online situation. So I guess my, my two part question is number one, am I being too dismissive to say that that's lost in an online situation and really it can be captured and I knew we were just doing a bad job. And then number two is do people see the value of that and do they want to come back to that? I, I have a story to share, but Sal, do you have anything to throw in there? I do. I think, uh, and this is coming from an introvert who um, has found community online, but not for church. Um, uh I, I can give you the example of uh, coming back in my late 20s, early 30s, late 20s. Um, I used to do uh, dip, like smokeless tobacco. Uh, you needed, needed, needed to quit. Needed to quit. Um, isn't skull lights like a, 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 a purge in the Bible? Like, isn't like, didn't God swallow them up in the earth? All skull lights? Yep. Oh, but you didn't. I did. Yep. I, I didn't do school. I did uh, Kodiak. Okay. So. Kodiak, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Kodiak and Copenhagen. Uh, yeah. But actually, I found I found a community online uh, for you know support system, and actually through this community online, was able to find you know the encouragement to quit and uh part of part of the community was after a certain amount of days it was like 30 days or 100 days you give like a testimony of like you know how you quit and how much the community meant to you and you know i wrote out a testimony of how that community helped me quit and i haven't touched smokeless tobacco in 25 years um 20 years not 25 20 years uh, almost 20 years uh, so that's that's how I felt found community on Facebook because it's as an introvert it allowed me to be open in myself 
without really risking myself to those who really know me. Uh, but on the flip side, pandemic-wise, I haven't been able to find that that connection, that community on, in online church, partly because, like Todd, um, we, we do church professionally. Um, and I was doing church professionally for most of the pandemic. I was too worried about getting church produced to actually worry about worshiping. Um, whereas now, since I've left that position, I can actually focus on worshiping. Um, but, you know, for me, um, in my spiritual life, online community just doesn't do it for me. Um, there's there's a difference of going to church and standing at the communion rail uh, next to my wife and my fellow parishioners that isn't there when I preside over communion virtually. Um, uh, And that's not to say that people don't get something out of it when I preside over communion virtually, which I hate doing, but I do it because as Todd has said, you know, who are, who are we to say what's the means of grace and what isn't? Yeah. Grace and 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 understanding the 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 sanctity of the elements, and I'm concerned with losing the sanctity of the elements. At the same time, is God so powerless to take away the sanctity of an element because it's online? Like you know, like it came to the point where it's my theology above God and God's ability to act, or or is. Yep. A moment where I need to bend a little. Yes, my theology is right in the sense that it, you know, we can cheapen communion to be like a drive-through experience. Like I'll take an order of uh, pita with grape juice and can I have a side of fries and a milkshake? Um, and that better be a shake, mother. You know. Um, so, <laughs> so like, uh, and and I. And ironically, and ironically speaking of speaking of not wanting to, to uh, disgrace the the elements of the sacrament, I did I officiated communion last weekend uh, for the my home church's first time doing in person communion in quite a long time. I forgot my my bread, so I asked for bread, and all I could find were frozen waffles. So I did communion with a freaking waffle. Talk about. So, yeah. So God has a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. God has a sense of humor. And honestly, um, people who would have less of an objection to that than they would to you doing it online. Did you have yeah, it exactly the body of Christ broken for you, and then someone saying "Lego my ego"? <laughs> I was tempted to. I was tempted to utter that under my breath as I broke the bread, but I refrained. <laughs> that's a non-COVID cough that's just a laughing too hard cough yes. oh my god um, um, that's more but, <laughs> yeah it's a I'm, I'm, it's over vaccinated I feel safe but, but uh, um, the uh, experience that you mentioned before of certain people being able to rise above this because of uh, you mentioned pulpit supply and basically how they were channeling you in and, and they invested $6,000 in technology. Um, what, 
What is the delineation between the haves and the have-nots? And are the haves really experiencing more community than the the have-nots in this situation? Mm. That's a good question. I mean, I think the have-nots, at least from my experience, the have-nots are the ones who are on the front lines working as CNAs and um, dining associates at healthcare facilities. Um, they're finding their spiritual community through um, fighting the virus as okay. opposed to church. I still have nots elsewhere too um, as a pastor. Uh, and you probably have dealt with this as well, Sal, and I'm sure you have as well, Sam. There are people who listen to the powers that be that they believe are, are, you know, on their side, have their best interests. Um, and they believe that this pandemics, the pandemics, this pandemic is a hoax, that the, the virus is, you know, some, some believe it's like, you know, going to put the mark of the beast into you uh, and cause you to, you know, be forever with the antichrist and, thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, the vaccine. The vaccine, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. I said something different. My apologies. Uh, So basically, there are a ton of people um, who who are out there who get their information from people they believe have their best interest in mind, but don't. And, you know, so, so... the least of these, those who are, are the have-nots, may be beyond just the people who are serving those who are dying. Certainly, they are among them. Um, but I also think of the people, the people that I would look at as mm-hmm. being or idiotic or stupid or duped or whatever, whatever phrase I might give them. But they truly believe it. I mean, like let's let's face it, we all have family members that buy into the BS that's been sold the last several years, let alone months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're good people. They're the same people we grew up loving and knowing and caring about. And uh, hopefully we do though. I know some, I know some people that have disowned their family members based off of politics, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one, you know, like, so, so the point, the point being that like, those are the have nots as well. The people that, that have been duped, by the antichrist, mm-hmm. so to speak, to use that language. Yep. Um, in a yep. America's America's broken, and only I can fix it. And you know, the you know portion of this country who vote uh, against their best interests. Well, um, let me let me pivot just a little bit and make sure we touch on this because I think it's one of the most important parts of this conversation, which is the fact that a lot of churches have continued to keep their online worship as an option, as a, an acknowledgement of number one, you know, this is where the the world has moved post COVID. This is the natural advancement of technology and of humanity. And number two, we can reach more people by doing this. What are the advantages and disadvantages of providing an online option? So let me touch on this because this is my this is definitely my world. Um, the disadvantage is that people will choose convenience over 
inconvenience any day of the week. So it's like, oh, I don't have to get up. I can just lay in bed and click, you know, connect. And there I am. I'm watching church. Nobody sees me. And I can look as yep. uh, clothed or unclothed as I am and hideous or beautiful as I am. And no one cares. Um, and, if the, and, if, and if the sermon's boring, I can change the channel. And the service is boring. It can change the channel, right? Where that that convenience and consumer culture that has plagued the, really, it's plagued this this the, it's plagued the church longer than the pandemic. The pandemic brought it front mm-hmm. and center. Um, well, and you, and you and you saw this with worship style and worship music and praise praise music. It's the yeah. issue is the same. It's just how it manifests has changed. It's the same. People people choosing this reason or that reason not to attend and feeling justified because of X, Y, and Z. And and so there is that that downside to continuing. There is a positive side to continuing. Uh, there is the chance, for instance, on a good Friday that you might draw in a Mike so-and-so from, you know, Nebraska or Missouri, uh, Missouri, as they call it out there, um, and and bring them in because they were looking for Newton, Massachusetts, or wherever, and they found Newton, New Jersey, and said, "Oh, this is cool," and stuck with it. And we're really glad they stayed and watched the service, and we're thankful for it. There is that, and that really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that has happened is uh, one of our our dear members and friends uh, I met up with actually at Disney, and um, they moved to Florida and lived there, uh, but still contribute, including. Um, yeah, they, they contribute in different ways, uh, and they are still attending service online because that mm-hmm. church they were able to go to during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. and if they don't find it a, an in-person church, they still have connection to the people who are part of this church that they can maintain community. So mm-hmm. it can be done online, and, and for some people, online is the only way it can be done. Um, and for others in person is the only way it can be done. Uh, and for the many more in between, it can be done both ways and there's no problem. Uh, I, I, I think there are some people who find a problem with it. Th- those who are used to going to church the traditional way and see the pitfalls of the, <laughs> the new way. But, but the pitfalls only provide challenges, not necessarily uh, defeats. So, the challenge of overcoming how do you build community when you're not necessarily in the same building um, yeah. is a challenge or that can be. <clears throat> well, so I, I think that you, so one thing that you, you've done, which is interesting is you've cast me in the same category that I never thought I would be part of, which is like, I now have something in common with the MAGA crowd. Um, <laughs> the MAGA crowd. It's, it's, I didn't say that. I am someone who really finds value in in-person worship and that in-person connection that can happen where someone's going to tell you that she's pregnant um, only because you're in person. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, as, as, as a hospice, uh, yeah, I can only imagine how important in person is you know in relation to that but like uh mm-hmm. the, um the what i'm doing is i'm sort of on that side where i'm like I, I recognized for 14 to 15 months that there's something else more important and urgent right now 
kind of where we differ. But now I'm kind of back to like, we need that corporate worship. We need to be together. And so the, the, the example I'm going to pick on is the middle-aged man who stands next to his wife in a worship service and doesn't sing. Where does that guy go? So there's, there's three ways that um, he could potentially move. He could do that for the rest of his life in, in a service. He could actually get more into the music and the worship and thinking about the lyrics and, and, and become more focused on the actual connection with God and with the corporate worship idea and actually start singing, or he can completely disconnect. He's unlikely to completely disconnect if he's there in person. He has an online option. And he's already the middle-aged central Pennsylvania stoic man that I, you know, have to deal with as the, the friend of every single, uh, I'm sorry, the husband of every single friend that my wife has where I, I don't know how to connect with this guy. Like he, um, he's already so checked out that one of the only things keeping him there is the fact that he's in person and now he has an online option. Mm. So where is he likely to go? For him, that's a, you know, that's a difficult question. And I think that's a part of yourself and the pastor and the leadership of the church kind of discerning how do we best, how do we best reach somebody who is like this? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that there is an answer. I think that it can be a both and and not neither or. Um, It's just a matter of how do you engage this person in a way that's going to help them grow in their, in their discipleship in both situations, whether it's online or in person. Um, right. I think, and I, and I've, go ahead, and I, I know, and I know a pastor who's, who has been <clears throat> beating the online horse for years, even before the pandemic started. Um, no, too. but, um, he, he's continues to do online and, but in person, they're doing in person, but masked, fully masked. Um, and he's doing that because he knows that uh, he has a lot of families in this church and because children can't really necessarily get the vaccine yet. Um, he offers online and masked in person because, uh, a lot of families don't feel safe coming back to church yet. So, you know, there are people who have been vaccinated, people who haven't, I don't judge either, you know, like there's a lot of judgment on people anti-vaxxers i i don't judge i'm not an anti-vaxxer uh most of the people who are anti-vaxxers have had vaccinations themselves um oh really oh i i'm i'm sure i mean most of our generation grew up getting vaccinated without any question of it Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden there's this this article that gets put out it could cause autism or this or that and people just get they 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 buy into any article get out there and then becomes like a whole a whole like reality that's not a reality but it's an alternate fact and that's really where anti-vaxxers sit unfortunately yeah it's on the internet it must be true right must be true oh yes yes so so there are people who are anti-vaxxers uh that i don't think uh whose parents were not anti-vaxxers back in the day (laughs) and they're all living and and able to their anti-vax uh uh fight um you know perfectly healthy and safe uh saving all future generations yeah. from, from something they're not going to catch but but they'll catch polio so um <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know what to say i i don't know what to say to those people uh, but but good for them i don't judge the point the point being is 
that like we are we're all over the place when it comes to to vaccinations and what to do what not to do but i i took it i knew the risk to be minimal compared to what the gain was to be and i took that risk um you know if you want to take the risk of catching covid and up with long hauler syndrome and other things or possibly dying in the hospital versus the one in point zero 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 nine point you know nine eight something chance that you might get you know some rare disease from getting a vaccination <laughs> you take that risk you know I, I don't know what to tell you, you. Also, also play the lottery because yeah, yeah. You, you like you play like the lottery odds so for yeah. sure play the lottery because you probably have a better chance there but <clears throat> go for it go for it the way the way that i way the way that i look at it is uh okay you could meet me in church on sunday or you could meet me at the, uh, at your deathbed in the hospital as your hospice chaplain <laughs> That is chaplain. That is gallows humor, if I've ever seen it. That is <laughs> humor right there. Either you meet me in church or you meet me on your deathbed. I'll see you either way, baby. Uh, although I know I'll uh, enjoy this phrase, I got to say that Sal has the ultimate trump card there. Yeah, so. he totally trumped us. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's been said here, guys. It's been said here. So. Uh, that brings us full circle, folks. Um, what that what that basically means is that people are all over the place when it comes to where they are with church and with uh, virtual or in-person worship. I personally think, I don't know where you are, Sal, where you are, Tim, I personally think that in-person worship cannot go away. We have to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the church also needs to embrace live streaming and other things because there are people who benefit from it i have a person who just moved yep. to who watches our church regularly gives and um, is very much a part of our church even though she can't be here in person um, maybe she'll find in person church and i hope that for her but in the meantime this is her home church this is where she's a part of and she's very much a part of it but i would challenge yep. the church with 180 percent effort to engage in that person because it's going to be harder yeah yo, no absolutely yep. Just say, oh, you're you're attending church. Great, have a nice day. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. you have to do ministry with people, and that's no different in person. Yep. You can't just see yep. a person on Sunday and have nothing to do with them from Monday through Saturday. I mean, you have to, in order to be a part of a person's life, you have to truly be a part of their lives, and and that's a challenge on either side of that. I think. Yep. I think the church has done a bad job. I think the church has. All in c- complacent in the fact that people will show up on Sunday, and now we're in a time where they won't. Yep, I think uh, um, I saw, I saw. I mean, I similar thinking as you, Todd. But I, I saw a cartoon recently. It was a like a pastor and a, um, a person in the t-shirt, jean pastor with tattoos, and he says, "Oh, you shouldn't have tattoos. You should be dressed properly." and professionally and you know tattoos are you know unprofessional and then he says well uh uh where in the where in the bible does it say that and you know are you saying that because of culture or for because of the bible and he's the person realizes oh i'm saying that because of culture not because of scripture or bible so my my thinking kind of is very similar in terms of online worship i think for me personally in-person worship is should always be in as 
we're grounded in in-person worship because it's been the bedrock of the church for 2000 years. Uh, but at the same time, we have to offer online because that's an option and we will reach people that way. Just like 20 years ago, the argument was over praise music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. That is exactly the case. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is the church is always going to be in a place of changing. Um, it always has been. It did. It, like, it didn't you know, sooner start up. And Paul of Tarsus was uh, arguing that you didn't have to be Jewish to be Christian. And that was a big to do back then. It was huge. Uh, and there was a lot of scripture throwing back and forth. Uh, a squoting, as I would say, scripture quoting. Uh, see, there was a lot of quoting back and forth uh, of, uh, you know, like, well, the scripture says, and Jesus was, and so you must be Jewish. And Paul going, but that makes zero to little sense. You know, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, but there are people who argued it on either side of that. And uh, so that, you know, that is where it is. And that's where we are today with, with online technology. But I can guarantee you, the online technology after the pandemic's not on the way. Most churches are not on the way. So the question is, how do you engage those folks who are online um, to make them included and a part of the life of the church? It's not impossible, but it takes extra thinking and extra work. It, it, it's work. It's it, people haven't truly begun to prepare themselves for. And sorry, Todd, to add another job to your, your many jobs here as, as a uh, minister, but you, you got to figure it out. If you have if you have eight or nine people who like consistently access your service week after week, and like they only do it online, it's like how do you actually minister to them? Because they're not going to reach out to you. The, well, the thing is, is I don't, and that's that's the key. I minister to the people who I know need ministry. So, how do we minister to the people we know need ministry? Is to get to know more people. It requires the church to be involved in finding and engaging and activating uh, with those people, and and then and then saying, you know, Pastor Todd, um, I've been talking with so and so, and and they attend our online service, and their issue is X, Y, and Z. Like, would you be willing to talk with them and see like how we can help them as a church? You know, like that's what's going to get the pastor to be able to connect with those people in a way that's relevant to them. My walking into a Dunkin' Donuts and saying, oh, by the way, I'm the pastor across the street. You should show up one day. It may happen. I'm, not, you know, I'm sure it has happened. But how, how, how many churches were really grown that way? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's, that's where I am as a pastor. Yes, I am a part of the equation, but I'm not the whole of the equation. And, and if we can we can join together as a team to, to be a one-two punch in the church, we can make that work. But we can't make it. It's like, I'm only showing up on Sunday. And oh, by the way, you better bring 20 more people next week. Because <laughs> it's not happening. It's, you know, like, I, I know I'm charismatic. I know people love me. I'm sexy. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, I hate like perfect, right there. You don't need anything more than the nose. I think the fact that you're uh, double my height also. Uh, yeah, the fact that we're sandwiching. Sal, if you just move this way, <laughs> we're sandwiching. <laughs> we're sandwiching Tim. It's <laughs> going great. Yeah. I love it. Oh my god, uh, this is a good place to end. 
So we're going to end it there. Um, I will remind all of you to be excellent to one another. And don't be a jerk. Anything to add to that, Sam? I, I, I can't imagine adding to those two pieces of advice. Be excellent to each other. Don't be a jerk. And remember to check out the episode notes where we got plenty of stuff. And oh, by the way, if you want to hear the zany, crazy conversation continuing about what it's like to be married during the pandemic, then you need to drop $5 now and become a subscriber at just one coffee at Starbucks a month or Dunkin' Donuts. Yep. And you're good. Thank you. See you there. Peace. Rock on. Rock on.